Christians to press on in faithfulness. Uh, back in verse 12, he, he told his audience to lift their drooping hands and to strengthen their weak knees. Um, and he gave them motivation for doing this. He didn't just give them a command. He gives them motivation to, to, to carry this out. Why should we be strong? Why, why can we lift our drooping hands? And he reminds them of two mountains, and, and Mark taught on this last week, and he's going to call those mountains to mind again today. So for a brief review, there are two mountains. One is Mount Sinai. This is the mountain on which God met Moses and gave his people the law uh, through Moses. This was a terrifying event. Um, the whole mountain was engulfed in fire and smoke, um, and the people were, were warned to, to stay back lest they be wiped out by God's holiness. So that's Mount Sinai, and, but uh, the author of Hebrews also mentions Mount Zion, uh, on the other hand, which is the mountain where God's favorable presence was with his people. Um, that's that's uh, Jerusalem, that's the city of God, and, and he says that uh, the author instructs his audience to to approach, that they, he tells them that they do approach the heavenly Jerusalem, the, the true dwelling place of God, the favorable presence of God. So we have this comparison in our minds as we go into reading our text today of Mount Sinai burning with God's holiness and Mount Zion uh, where he invites us into his favorable presence. So we're going to continue the exhortation today to, to worship the God of both these mountains, and continue in steadfast faithfulness. So we are going to read verses 25 through 29 today, and then we're going to pray for God's help as we uh, hear from his word and as we um, delve into it. So let's listen carefully to the all-powerful. This is the all-powerful word of God, as Dan made mention of. It says this, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray for God's help in the preaching of his word. Lord, I pray that you would give us um, a heart that does not refuse him who is speaking. Lord, you speak to us today. I pray that you would open our hearts to hear your word, to believe your word, to be transformed by your word. And Lord, I pray that Christ would be um, shown as more glorious today, seen more clearly. Help us see uh, the Savior whom we desperately need. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The sun, our star, is a power to reckon with. Um, it is a nuclear reactor that is 300,000 times heavier than planet Earth. That's big. <laughs> and even though it's 90 million miles away, and even though we're shielded by thousands of miles of atmosphere filled with gases 
who uh, do a good job of absorbing a lot of those harmful rays, UV light uh, and other lights, gamma rays, all that good stuff, uh, not good stuff. We don't want to get hit by that. Though we have thousands of, of miles of that protection and we are so far away, we still receive enough heat and light to sustain all the life that's on this planet. Um, as a quick side note, I just remembered, all that heat and light is, is every form of energy we experience comes from the sun. Um, if you think you have wind power, well, wind is made by this difference in pressure, which is by heat coming down from the sun. <laughs> if you think of a, a, a water mill, you think that's the kind of power that we can get. Well, guess what? Water, how does it flow downhill? First, it evaporates out of the ocean back up and comes down in clouds. Why does it evaporate? The power of the sun. Everything, life itself, the trees that grow on, you know, in, in the ground and fruit that we eat, that powers us and the powers animals, it comes from the power of the sun. And the sun is also strong enough, even though with all that shielding, to, to burn our skin if we're out in it too long, to burn the back of our retinas if we look at the sun too long, as every child has been warned by their parents, don't look at the sun, it's going to blind you. I looked it up. It may not blind you, but it, it can harm your retina, apparently. Um, it can give you skin cancer. It can cause, the, ra the radiation that still gets through can cause uh, um, mutation to your cells and cause you scan skin cancer over time. The sun is a powerful, glorious, blazing fire. It gives life, and it threatens to, to kill as well. It is, it is appropriate to feel wonder when we behold its splendor. It is both amazing and terrifying at the same time. But there's a power even more intense than the sun that we behold today, and that is God himself. Verse 29 says that our God is a consuming fire, far more so than the sun, and it is appropriate that we respond with reverent worship. If you're like me, it can be, you can find it all too easy to um, just totally forget uh, about who God is, the, the nature of his character, what he's like. He becomes commonplace in our thinking, um, and we give him very little attention in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, just as we take for granted the amazing power of the sun we can take for granted the majestic splendor and the holiness of God, who made that sun, by the way, with a single word. But God knows the tendency, that tendency in our hearts. He's aware of that. And so he, 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 and he knows that we're prone. We're prone to wander. We're prone to become interested and idolize other small things. And we can forget the God who made us and saved us. He knows that. And so he inspired the author of Hebrews to write these words to his people. First to a small group of believers in the first century. And now to this group of believers here today. So he reminds us of what he's like. We need that reminder. And he does it so that we might respond appropriately. Our God is a consuming fire and we should worship him accordingly. So today we're going to consider two ways that we are exhorted to worship this God appropriately. And we're going to look at motivations for each, for each of those ways. So first, we're going to look at the first way in which we're called to worship God, and that is to revere God as holy. We are to revere God as holy. Verse 28 commands us to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? What makes God worthy of our, ref of our reverence and our awe. Why, why are those reverence and awe, why are those the ways 
that we are to worship God? Why is that the appropriate uh, uh, response to, to God? Here's why. Verse 29, our God is a consuming fire. That is, his holiness blazes so purely and powerfully that it burns up all impurities in his sight. He, the perfect one, cannot tolerate sin. And we observe God's blazing holiness in two events. One is in the past and one still in the future. The past event is when God shook the earth. And the future event is when God will shake the heavens. So let's look first at the past event. God shook the earth. Verse 26 says, At that time, his, that is God's voice, shook the earth. So when did this happen? What, what is the author referring to here? Well, he's speaking uh, about Mount Sinai. He's referring to God's arrival uh, to his people, making his presence known at Mount Sinai. At this time, God had already delivered the people of Israel up out of Egypt, um, out of slavery. He escorted them through the, the, the Red Sea on dry land. He delivered them from the Egyptian army. And then he leads them to this mountain where uh, previously he had met Moses in the, in the, in the burning bush that wasn't consumed. Uh, this is the same mountain. He had made himself known here to Moses. Now he makes himself known to his people, and he's going to give them the law. He's going to help them understand how they ought to live as people who have been created by and delivered by him. But God's arrival on this mountain, though a privilege, was terrifying. We heard a little bit about it last week. Um, there were so many, if you <laughs> appropriately you could call them acts of God, happening. There were these uh, cataclysmic events all occurring at the same time to help the Israelites understand what happens when God touches down, if you will. It was like being caught, imagine this, okay? In an earthquake, I've never even been in an earthquake. That would be terrifying right there. Okay, you're in an earthquake. During a lightning storm, the biggest one you've ever seen, all at the base of an active volcano, okay? That's essentially what was going down at Mount Sinai. R. Kent Hughes, he helps us illustrate uh, this scene, he helps us bring it to life, helps us understand what's going on. He says, the vision is stupendous. A mountaintop blazing with fire to the heart of heaven, according to Deuteronomy 4.11, cloaked with deep darkness. Lightning, illuminating golden arteries in the clouds. Celestial ram's horns overlaying the thunder with mournful blasts. The ground shaking as God's voice intones the Ten Commandments. And this ground-shaking voice of God was apparently the most unbearable part of this encounter. The Hebrew author describes God's voice in verse 19 as a voice whose words made the hearers beg, made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. That please record in Exodus 20. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of a trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Upon hearing God speak, the Israelites were afraid of dying. He shook the earth and their hearts. Now, I've never experienced a sound so great to shake the earth, and I'm guessing you haven't either. 
But probably the biggest sound I've ever experienced was when I was in Louisville, Kentucky, studying to, um, to become a pastor. I went to an event, an annual event. They call it Thunder Over Louisville. It's appropriately named. It is a combination of um, an amazing air show where pilots do all these sorts of cool, I don't even know what you call them. They fly they hit huge I don't know the planes. It's just a really big military plane, you know, with like four engines flying really low over the river. And then you've got these jets in formation and these smaller propeller planes doing all these really cool tricks. It's super loud. There's a lot of engines going on. Well, that's followed by an amazing fireworks display. I mean, the, if you think you've seen a good one, you haven't, you haven't seen Thunder Over Louisville, unless you've seen that one. Uh, you haven't seen what a fireworks can, display can be like. They, they take out these barges out into the, to the river. It's a good thing it's over a river because they're letting off so much, so many fireworks. You'd think you just started a gigantic forest fire if you didn't have that much water surrounding. So they, they, they take out these barges and they load them up with the biggest fireworks you've ever seen. And, and this grand finale, you're close to it too because you, you can be because of the water. I, I don't know how they get to work. Um, you're so close. Uh, during the grand finale, there were just so many fireworks in the sky exploding at the same time. Um, you could hardly see one firework to the other. It was just a giant, continuous blast of light, this amazing smell of sulfur like you've never smelled before, and this continual roar that I would appropriately call thunder as these blasts just happen and happen and happen. The sound shakes you. You feel it. The thunderous voice that the Israelites heard on Mount Sinai was many orders of magnitude greater than thunder over Louisville or any other sound you've ever heard. God's voice shook the ground they stood on and struck fear into their hearts. This is God's power. And yet, for all the terror that seemed to strike their hearts, they did not heed God's voice. The Hebrew author says, they refused him who warned them on earth. That's likely a reference to Moses, God's messenger on earth, who warned God's people of the judgment to come to those who don't follow Yahweh. But more, Moses was ignored. He had, at God's instruction, told the people of Israel before God had descended onto the mountain, uh, for the people to consecrate themselves, that is, to, to, to set themselves apart for God. Prepare, God is coming, sanctify, set apart yourselves. And yet, within only 40 days of Moses going up that mountain, the people of Israel had already commissioned Aaron, the, uh, the priest, um, well, he wasn't the priest at the time, but he commissioned Aaron to make them a golden calf um, that they worshipped, as the God who delivered them out of Egypt. Less than 40 days. This is insane. This, the Israelites were just delivered from Egypt through 10 miraculous plagues. They had, they had been delivered from the Egyptian army as they were led through the Red Sea being divided in two and then collapsing and destroying their enemies. A nearby mountain where Moses was still on was blazing with smoke and fire still. There's no indication that it stopped doing that when he went up the mountain. And yet Israel gets bored. They forget the God who has saved them. They make a golden calf and they pretend that that saved them from Egypt. And we may be quick to fault the Israelites for this 
infidelity. It can just think, that is obscene and, obs- and insane. It is obscene, it is insane, but it's not unlike us. We are the same way. Can we not, in one day, go from fearing God and honoring Him as holy, worshiping His name, and then the next day, we're making idols out of our jobs, thinking, that's my salvation, this is how life is good, I've, I've worked my way here. Or out of our families, this is my identity, this is my security. Out of our own comfort or entertainment, this is where I find real refuge. Yeah, God is great, but this is, this is where my soul is happy. How quickly can we forget that God is God, that he is a consuming fire. We can forget all that he is and all that he has done. We suffer from spiritual amnesia, and we regularly need reminders of who God is and of what he's done. That's why we come to church every Sunday. It's why we gather in our small groups. It's why we pick up the Bible and read it. We need to remember and remind each other of the God that we serve, the reality that God is like no other. And God is kind to remind us of himself again and again. And he's doing that again this morning. He knows we need this reminder, so he gives it to us. He wants to remind us of something else, though. He wants to remind us of what happened back at Mount Sinai. Israel, unfaithful Israel, what happened to them? What became of the unfaithful people who who worshipped a God other than Yahweh? Well, verse 25 says in our passage, it says that unfaithful Israel did not escape the judgment that they were warned about. Now, immediately after Moses came back down from the mountain, how did they not escape? Well, when Moses got back, he saw the amazing idolatry that had taken place. He was filled with the righteous anger of God. He recruited um, Levites to enact God's judgment on God's people. Levites attacking Israelites. 3,000 Israelite men were killed in one day because of their sin and not worshiping God instead of worshiping something else as their Savior. And then after that, God sent a plague among the people because of their infidelity. And ultimately, every single Israelite of that generation, every adult, died in the wilderness and never entered the land of promise. They didn't go in because they did not worship the Lord. This is a God not to be trifled with. He is holy, he is just, and he will punish sin. He must punish sin. He cannot tolerate it. At Mount Sinai, God shook the earth. He spoke, but uh, but Israel failed to listen, and they did not escape judgment. But God isn't done speaking. He will speak again, and this time he will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Verse 26 says, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That is, God, just as God visited Mount Sinai and and shook, uh, spoke words so powerful that it shook the ground beneath its hearers, God is going to appear once more to this world, and he's going to shake both heaven and earth. Heaven and earth encompass the entire universe. Verse 27 clarifies that the things that are shaken, heaven and earth, are things that have been made. Okay, in other words, if it was created, if it was made, it will be shaken. 
This is global. This is universal. Every planet, every star, every galaxy is going to tremble at God's word on this day. And Jesus warns of this day in Matthew 24. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, that's Jesus. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with, great, with power and great glory. This day is a day of judgment, a day when Christ will exercise his judicial power over the nations. All those who fail to worship him will mourn at his coming because he will judge them for their sins. Isaiah 13 describes the punishment of God this way, on this day. It says, For the stars of the heavens and the constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I, that's God, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless." None will escape those who do not heed the warning that Christ brings. Hebrews 12, 25 says, For if they did not escape who refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. In other words, if faithless Israel didn't escape the judgment that Moses, the earthly messenger, warned them about, how much less will we escape the judgment that Jesus, the heavenly messenger, who spoke God's word to us, warns us about if we reject him. None who reject Christ will escape his judgment. He will shake both heaven and earth, bringing punishment to all of his foes. So how do we respond to that? What do we do with this truth? Verse 25 says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. To refuse Jesus is to ignore him. It's to think, you know, you're a great guy, but I really don't take you seriously. It's thinking he's not, that he's not really going to return in glory and in power to judge the earth. It's thinking that God's holiness really isn't so much so that it couldn't tolerate any sin. Doesn't he know I'm a pretty good person? If that is you today, I urge you to heed this warning. The God of the universe is a God whose holiness, holiness burns so brightly and purely that he, he cannot tolerate our sin. He's the same God that appeared at Mount Sinai, and those who rejected him then did not escape, and neither will you if you reject his son. So, what do you do? You don't try harder. It doesn't work. <laughs> you repent. You admit your wrongdoing. You turn away from your false hopes of being a good person and you, you look to Christ alone for your standing before God. You run to him. You run to the one who has power for life and death in his hands. Do not, I, I urge you, do not, do not refuse him who is speaking today. He's speaking to you right now. This is him through his word. If you do not put your faith in Christ, if you are not looking to him alone, solely, I urge that you would. I pray that you would consider that. 
if you have turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, then we revere God as holy. We are to be amazed and humbled by his power, by his righteousness. We are to serve him with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. But this isn't the end of the story. Yes, our God is a consuming fire. We should revere him as holy. It doesn't say our God was a consuming fire. He is a consuming fire. That's who he is. But he's more than that. He's also a merciful God. And that brings us the second way in which we're to worship God appropriately. It's appropriate to revere him with awe as this consuming fire, but it is also appropriate to celebrate God as merciful. There's an important part of verse 27 that we skipped over. Let's read it all again. Verse 27 says, This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Notice there's a purpose to things being shaken. It's that some things are removed and other things remain. I think back to uh, my college class in, in geotechnical engineering, which, you know, was loads of fun. Um, <clears throat> not really. We took soil samples, and you'd put them in, this, uh, in these series of sieves. You'd have the, the most fine sieves or like filters at the bottom and the most coarse ones at the top. So you pour your soil sample into the top, and you put the whole contraption into this machine, um, and it would shake the sieves, and it would just it would shake the living tarnations out of it. I mean, it, would, it was so loud. It was, gong, 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 gong. And it's, it's shaking all of this, all this soil, and it's separating it out has a purpose in shaking. It's loud and violent, but it has a purpose. And its purpose was to remove the things that could be shaken, like the silts and the finer sands, and that the things that couldn't be shaken, the, the, the small pebbles and, and the rocks, might remain. They're at the top. And so, too, there is a purpose in God shaking the heavens and the earth. And, and his purpose is so that what cannot be shaken might remain. He is sifting out all of that which can, must be shaken and, and will will be removed so that that which cannot be shaken shows itself as the true stuff, the real stuff, the, the solid stuff. Quick side note. God is never purposeless in what he does. Even in the loud and violent shaking of the universe, he carries out a purpose, a redemptive purpose, and that is that what cannot be shaken may remain. So what is it that cannot be shaken? Verse 28 tells us, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Brothers and sisters, this is good news. This is good news for two reasons. First, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken implies that we ourselves, heirs of this kingdom, are not shaken by the judgment of God. Though we, in our sin, fully deserve God's consuming wrath, the type of wrath shown in judgment on unfaithful Israel, we, sinners, escape that, that cosmically shaking judgment of God when we take shelter in Christ. Think of, the again, the, the, the power of the sun, right? In its full glory, we would just burn up. You versus the sun, you don't stand a chance. 
okay? God, like the power of the sun, God's holiness ought to just disintegrate us, like, like, like little pieces of dust disintegrate us as sinners. But we're not left alone. If we shelter ourselves in Christ, Christ, this is a little campy, but Christ is like the atmosphere. Bear with me. The atmosphere is full of all these gaseous molecules, some of which are, well, a lot of which are oxygen. You probably know that. Um, but oxygen will take uh, uh, ultraviolet rays that otherwise would otherwise be very uh, harmful to us, and the radiation from the sun splits these oxygen uh, molecules in two, and then they bond to other ones, and that's how you get ozone. Um, but the, the oxygen basically sacrifices itself, taking the hit of the radiation, and then we thankfully are beneath all of that, and we ourselves don't experience that sort of destructive, uh, uh, powerful radiation from the sun. No, rather, we experience the life-giving effect, the, the, the light, the joy, all, all of the trees out there right now exist because of the sun. Instead of being burned up by the consuming power of, this, uh, of, this, of the sun, rather, of God, we, shielded by Christ, experience only the life-giving rays of a benevolent God sheltered by Christ's atoning death, we now bask in the light of God's goodness and grace. That's what we get. Believer, we get to worship God with reverence and awe, not fearing his judgment, but being amazed that Christ took it on our place and that we, sheltered under him, experience only God's favor. That is amazing news. That is mercy. But we don't just survive God's holiness. In Christ, we thrive in it. We don't just avoid being shaken. We inherit an unshakable kingdom. Verse 28 says, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So what does it mean that, uh, that this kingdom is unshakable? Well, to be unshakable is to be permanent, lasting, immovable, fixed, sure. It withstands even the day of the Lord when all else, and I mean all else, will be shaken and removed. I think of a video demonstration I just saw this past week with my work. Um, it was a training on designing roadside barriers. Again, riveting, I know. But a fun part to watch is test crash videos, right? Who doesn't like that? There are these barricades set up, and they're gonna, they run these. Thankfully, no one's in the car. But they run these cars at the barricades at various angles and sizes to see basically what happens to the car and what happens to the barricade, how much it moves, et cetera. Well, you know, some cars, they're, they're smaller, and they hit these. You know, like the ones in the mountains? You always see those, like, steel girders and the wood posts. You know what I'm talking about, right? Hopefully. Okay. Um, well, if you hit that, it's surprising how much it actually can move. Um, you'd think it's pretty fixed, and yet it deflects, like, a car's width. I mean, you hit it, if you hit it hard enough, you can really get it to move. Well, the, the, most, the most strong barrier that we considered was, um, was a concrete barrier, which you might imagine that sounds strong, but not just concrete, because even with a concrete barrier, with a truck hitting that, it still moves the thing. I mean, it, it slides on the ground. It's heavy, but it's not fixed. The strongest one is a precast concrete barrier. It's, it's built into the ground itself. It has a solid foundation. And we watched a video of an 11-ton box truck hurling 55 miles an hour toward this precast concrete wall at a 15-degree angle, which is pretty generous if you're thinking about driving down the road. 15, you have to really, really crank the wheel hard. And when it hits it, it deflects not more than two inches. And then it goes back in place. <laughs> you can't even see it. That's what it means 
to be immovable. That's what it means to be fixed. That is the sort of kingdom that we inherit. It is firm. It is immovable. It can get hit by the biggest weight you can think of, and it won't move. It's fixed. It's here. It's not going away. Not only that, it is a heavenly kingdom. In fact, it is the heavenly Jerusalem where God himself dwells, a city whose streets, whose streets are made of gold, and it can never be shaken. In this life, trials may feel like an 11-ton box truck hurling toward us at, at freeway speeds. Perhaps, like me, you're often overwhelmed by a sense of your own inadequacy, wondering how on earth God could ever use you to serve others. Or perhaps you're battling despair over a situation that seems totally hopeless. Maybe you feel completely without purpose or direction in this life and you feel as though the years of life are just slipping past with your hopes and desires unfulfilled. Perhaps you feel that just one more bad day will tip you over the edge and you're just going to completely lose it. Friend, if you have heeded the voice of him who warns from heaven, if you have run to the one who invites those who labor and are heavy laden to come to him and find rest, then you are an heir of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. By whatever box truck of life's trials, your inadequacy, my inadequacy, cannot shake the kingdom that we've inherited. Your circumstances cannot shake this kingdom. Your choices cannot shake it. And even your sin cannot shake it because Christ died for it on a cross. So for those who are in Christ, you have received an eternal kingdom that can never be shaken. You will return home. We are not home. You will return home to the city of the living God and be perfectly united to the one who loved you so much that he died for you. The pain of this life will end. The joy of heaven will last for eternity. You're going to see, you're going to see the very smile of God upon you as he welcomes you into his favorable presence because of what Christ has done. The innumerable angels, as we read last week, in festal gathering are going to celebrate your entry into heaven, into the place that will remain forever. And Jesus himself will be there ready to embrace you in his tender and yet mighty arms, reassuring you of his infinite love for you. Believer, be grateful for receiving such a kingdom. Worship God for his mercy. Celebrate him for his kindness. Thank him for his generosity. We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our God is a consuming fire. And yet, because of Christ, we who heed his voice experience only his favor. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are both just and merciful. We thank you that you hate sin. We thank you for your power and your glory, Lord. We are, 
We are amazed by it. It is a fearful, it is a awe-inducing, it is a wonderful thing. And so, Lord, I pray that we would, that our hearts would be filled with awe towards you. And simultaneously, Lord, I pray that we would be uh, filled up with gratitude for receiving a kingdom uh, where your love makes itself known to us, where we have an inheritance that cannot be touched by anything. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make our lives full of grateful worship seasoned with reverent awe. And Lord, we just ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.